Thank you, Todd. Good morning again, and uh, what a great day it is today. I tell you what, yesterday, you know, it's amazing how warm 30 degrees can feel, isn't it? Just went out there with some shorts on yesterday, and uh, it was remarkable. What a great week. I hope that you guys got outside and enjoyed the snow. It was a beautiful snow, and um, uh, but it's been a good week uh, here at GPC. Hopefully it's been a good week for you all. And uh, I wanted to say just briefly, uh, if you're wondering where Pastor Scott is today, that he's actually at Clayton Presbyterian Church today. They're in between pastors, and so he, he volunteered to leave. Uh, no, just to go there for one Sunday. He's going to preach, and in fact, he may even come back later uh, at the next service. So, um, so that's where Pastor Scott is today. Um, but it's good to be here with you this morning. We are kind of continuing uh, in our look um, through the New Testament. So hopefully this week you kind of finished out uh, or are finishing up Matthew. And then this next week we will be uh, kind of diving into Mark. Mark is a shorter um, um, gospel than Matthew, um, quite a bit shorter actually. And so, uh, so we'll kind of be diving into that starting, uh, starting this week. So we look forward to that. This morning, though, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So I invite you to hear these words. Matthew says this, For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And the one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you have handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours." But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all who have, more will be given." And they will have an abundance, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would fall afresh on us this morning, that you would eliminate our hearts and our minds to the things to which you would have us to learn today. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I want to start by kind of stating the obvious, really, which is that this parable is not nearly as popular or famous or as enjoyable as, say, the prodigal son or, um, or the good Samaritan. It's one that actually commentators don't even really like all that much, it seems. And in many books on parables, they leave this parable out all together. It would be nice if the parable had a few more details, right? There are things that are missing that if maybe we were there, we'd say to Jesus, hey, can you kind of flush this out a little bit more? Like, did you tell them to do something with these talents? Or what would you like for them to have done? Or, or, or something more. Um, and then a lot of people, of course, are confused on who the master is. Is the master supposed to be God? Uh, or is the master not supposed to be God? And then, of course, you have the whole thing on judgment. And nobody likes judgment. Well, I mean, we like judgment if we get to judge other people, but we don't like judgment when it comes to us. And so it's just kind of an uncomfortable uh, parable. And, and, you know, one of the things, though, that we said at the very beginning of this series was that we we're going to take a look uh, at the New Testament and we're going to bring up stories like this one where, you know, at the end of the sermon, it's not like you can kind of wrap it up in a sweet little bow and be like, oh, that's exactly what it means. There are still some questions that we may wrestle with, but we believe that there is something in here for us to understand and perhaps to challenge us in some way. So let's begin uh, where I've said we should always begin, of course, which is with this lens of grace. And so one of the things that we are clear about is that Jesus didn't say in this parable that any of these servants had earned any of these talents, the one with five, two, or one. Instead, we're simply told that the master gave them these talents, right? In fact, it says, a scripture says that they received it. And that's a really important place for us to start out by realizing that it wasn't as if they did certain things and then they received those talents. Rather, those talents were freely given to them. And so before we start thinking about what we do with those talents or what we do with this grace, we simply come from a place of just receiving them. And so what did they receive? Well, they received talents. But what are talents? Well, in the strictest form, talents are money, right? That's exactly what he meant, uh, or that's exactly what they're talking about here. And we don't know for sure how much money it is. It's probably somewhere around uh, a 10,000 denarii. What's important is to know that almost all commentators say it's a lot of money, right? So there's an abundance. And so again, as we try to remember this thing about grace and about this master, that there is a lot that was given to them abundantly, but of course, when we think about talent, we think about something different, don't we? And, and, and there's actually, it's a good chance that where we get our English understanding of talent is actually from this parable, from this parable. And so it probably means more than just money, right? A lot of times when we think of talents, we think of skills or abilities that we have. Um, but the, the, the definition that I really like about a talent is one given to us by Dale Bruner. And here's what Dale says. He says, a talent is whatever the Lord gives now and will ask about later. Whatever the Lord gives now and will ask about 
later. I love that definition. I mean, one of the reasons I love it is because it, it kind of embodies this grace dangerous that we're talking about in this sermon series. It's something that the Lord has given to us, right? Has given to us freely. However, there is also a certain amount of responsibility, right? There's a certain amount of responsibility that comes from knowing that we're going to be asked about this later, right? I mean, you don't probably have to have kids to know that if you say, hey, I'm going to clean your room or you need to clean your room, that's one thing. But if you say you need to clean your room and in one hour I'm going to be up there to look at it, that room gets a lot cleaner, a lot faster, right? And so there's a sense of this sense of responsibility that comes along with this sense of talent. Freely given, the Lord's going to ask about it later. There's also this great sense that it's not necessarily something that you possess a talent isn't. It's something that you are supposed to give. It's something you're supposed to use, something you're supposed to do something with. You don't just kind of hold it, as we'll talk about here in just a few minutes. The first two servants, they seem to really get this. They get the sense that it's supposed to be something that is used, right? Because they're pretty excited, it seems. In fact, it says that immediately they went out in order to do something with these talents. And, and in the Greek, uh, you could put this word immediately in several different places, but Matthew and Jesus in the parable puts it at the very front of the sentence. It's the first word there, which gives us this sense of the importance of it, right? Like immediately, like, hey, I gotta do something with it. It, it, it reminded me of our, our youngest, who's six years old now. She's had a birthday about a week and a half ago, and, 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 and she just begun opening up her presents, and, and one of the first ones was this remote control car. And after she opened it, she didn't care about any other presents that were out there. She just wanted to rip that thing open and begin to use it, right? Where are the batteries? Let's charge this thing. Let's get this thing going. There is this real passion. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what you see with the first and second servant. Like as soon as they get this, they want to go. They are excited about it. There's a certain amount of joy that comes to kind of using these talents. And that continues in the way that Jesus describes the parable. Because immediately after the immediately, sorry for the redundancy, there's all of a sudden three more verbs, right? And these are very aggressive words that they went off, that he traded, that he made or won, right? There's this, there's just this sense of excitement and joy and urgency and intentionality that these first two disciples had. They didn't want to just hold on to these talents themselves. They wanted to go out with joy and because of that, all of a sudden, there were more talents that became theirs, right? All of a sudden, it began to grow. Now, I was thinking about something I said a few weeks ago, which is that one of the great places that we really learn about the Bible is not from some kind of phenomenal Bible teacher or preacher or celebrity. More often than not, where we learn and where the Bible comes alive it's from those people that we see in more of our day-to-day -day life, right? That's how we begin to understand it. So as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of, 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 of from whom have I learned what it means to be a five-talent or a two-talent uh, servant, right? Who, who, who does this with great joy and excitement? And, and one of the very first people that I thought of was our own Sharon Pierce. Now, you guys, many of you know Sharon Pierce. She's actually right over there. And um, I, I won't try to embarrass her too much, but, 
But Sharon is one of these kinds of people that I think we can, we can learn much from because she has great joy and excitement about what she does, right? So Sharon has been the, I forget Sharon, I should know these things. If it's the CEO, executive director, head honcho, what you, what not, you know, whatever it is uh, of the villages, right? Which does a lot of stuff with, with uh, it's a nonprofit, does a lot of stuff with um, um, foster care, um, but they also do a lot of work to try to keep, you know, children in their biological families and to try to allow that to flourish. But, but Sharon for almost a half a century has worked with children in Indiana, right? And, and kind of helping to, uh, um, to lower the abuse and neglect of children, and then also kind of um, I'm working um, majorly with the program that helps um, at-risk first-time parents. Um, and so she's had this really illustrious career. And then two months ago, um, there was this huge article in the Indie Star about her. Maybe you saw it, right? I mean, uh, I had her sign mine, and um, I didn't, but, um, but maybe after service. And so it was this great thing, but I love the way they described Sharon, right? And, and so one of them was a woman who uh, Sharon wanted, them, uh, wanted her to be on the board, and she said she had already decided she was going to say no. She just wasn't going to be able to do it, but she got together with Sharon anyways. And what happened, of course, is by the end of the conversation, she had said yes. Um, and, and the reason why she described it was because, uh, because of Sharon's kind of this, this, this infectious kind of joy that she has about what she does, right? That she just loves to do these things. Things, right? And, and she has this passion. And this is the thing about using a gift or talent, please hear me, and doing so with passion and with joy, which is that when you do so, others want to be a part of what you are doing, right? They want to come alongside of you. One of the things I really appreciated was, um, was this sentence or this actual this statement from Governor Holcomb uh, about Sharon. In fact, I can't wait to see uh, what the governor writes to me when I retire. Um, and and here's, what, here's what he says. He says, Sharon's saintly, I like that saintly. I'm sure that was great. Steve, I hope you gave her a nudge about that. Efforts over the decades touched the lives of countless Hoosier children. She taught, inspired, led so many over the years to, get this word, invest in those who need it the most. I thought that was perfect. Invest. As we think about these, these, these first two servants, they went out, invested, and got more talents. And again, what I want to point out to you is that when you have this joy and this excitement about the talent that God has given to you, you will begin to see those things grow because others will want to come alongside and be a part of what it is that you are doing. This is simply the way it works when you immediately get up and you begin to do these things with joy. Now, Sharon, this is the only one you'll be here. So this is the only time I'll say it, but I do want to thank you as you retire for all that you have done for our kids. Maybe we can even, I know you're not going to give her a round for this. Uh, Because it is remarkable what you have done. And this is what happens when you begin to go with great joy and excitement. Now, here's the thing. Not all of us engage in the gifts to which God has given us in that same way as we see these two servants doing. Which brings us to the third servant. The third servant, as you probably recall, he took the, uh, he took the talent, the coin, and what did he do with it? 
He buried it, right? He went and he buried it away. And so you can kind of imagine that when he hears that the master's return, he's like, okay, great. Now, where did I put that? That's right. You know, you go to the gate. It's the third sycamore over and you dig three feet down and there it is. And so that's what he did. And you kind of, you know, I just kind of picture him. He's got this coin and he's just kind of, you know, he's brushing it off and he's like, oh yeah, this looks sparkling. And, you know, the master's gonna be so happy because it's like it's never been anywhere and done anything, right? This is perfect. And so he goes and he goes to the master and before he hands it to him, though, he gives him this great line. He says, um, well, you know, here it is. And here's the thing. I knew that you were harsh. Um, and so before I give this to you, um, I, I want you to know that I really try to protect it uh, as much as possible. Um, and so and so here you go. I hope it's OK. And of course, it wasn't OK at all. In fact, we're told the master said, oh, you thought I was such a horrible person. Um, now I'm going to cast you into outer darkness. The parable, as you can see, has taken kind of an abrupt turn, right? It went from this great place of excitement and joy to all of a sudden this place of kind of darkness and despair. And actually, right here, all of us have a decision to make. And you can make a decision however you want. It's, it's almost like at this point of the parable, it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. Because we have to answer a question. And the question is this. Who at this point is the master? Is the master God or is the master not God? So there are many scholars who actually would suggest, well, look at this. If this is true, what the third servant is saying, clearly then the master is not God. So what's Jesus saying in this parable? Well, they would say, well, if you turn to page 147 and you look, oh, here's what it says, which is that, which is that actually what Jesus is doing is, is perhaps Jesus is actually speaking out against the whole economic system of usury, which was oftentimes spoken ill of in the Old Testament or whenever it was spoken of, it was spoken of in, in, in a negative way. And so this is something that is bad. And so what Jesus is really doing, he's saying, hey, um, he's speaking out against that particular economic system. Others would say, no, 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 here's what, this is all a farce. And really what Jesus is trying to expose is that we don't serve this kind of master, this kind of God who gives you rewards only if you've earned it. That that's kind of works righteousness. So that's what this is about. And, and if you want to choose, you can choose to go in that direction. And, and, and there is some rationale behind that. I have not chosen to go in that direction. Um, um, and, and because I'm preaching, I get to kind of choose our own adventure together. But you can go back to your own if you want to. But mine comes from page 125 of this um, um, made up book. And here's what this says, is that with this understanding of this story, that what we're actually really seeing is that the third servant has a distorted view of who the master and I would suggest who God actually is. And because of that distorted view, the way that he understands God, the way that he understands his life, the way that he understands his talent, that all of those things change. So that if you think about the first two Servants, they clearly believed that God was, or and that the master was full of grace and generosity. And so out of that, they went out and they began to give and they began to spend it or they began to use it. And, and then it grew and grew and grew. And then when the master came back, all of a sudden they got more because of that. And so there was this great joy and excitement, right? As they served this generous master. Whereas the third servant who thought for whatever reason, no, 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 this is, he is harsh, 
And because of that, all of a sudden, he does absolutely nothing with what he has been given. That everything changes. He simply comes back out of fear and he begins to hide. And it is this, I would suggest, this remarkable difference that it makes about where you start when it comes to understanding who God is. And in fact, that it changes your whole journey depending upon where you begin. In fact, it might just be the truth that if you start not with this sense of a generous God, a graceful God, but you start with a God who is a harsh taskmaster, that in many ways it is a completely distorted faith that isn't actually all that Christian of a faith at all. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of something that happened a year ago now. A year ago, um, actually it was literally a year ago today, uh, Megan and I uh, were celebrating her 40th birthday. And so, uh, and so we got to go to Ireland for a week, which was this great gift. And, and, and quite frankly, we should have enjoyed it even more than we did if we had known what was coming. Honestly, we probably should have just stayed. And so... But it was really, it was a great, it was a great week. We had a great time. And so we, uh, during that week, we spent one day doing what, what I know that some of you have done, because you told me, which was uh, kind of exploring the Dingle Peninsula, right? This is a, a, little, a little part that kind of juts off. And, uh, and we can see a picture here um, of, of the Dingle Peninsula, kind of on the southwest side, right? It's, it's this very kind of classic kind of Ireland, or part of Ireland. And, 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 and Rick Steves, the, the kind of famous tour guide, he has, he has made it famous. And what Rick Steves does, as you go through this tour guide book, um, and, and, and it's kind of like traces out. This isn't actually his map, but it kind of goes like around the red parts of it. You know, as you can see, you kind of go all the way around. It's a big circle that you do. And he's done a great job of kind of describing. He's like, okay, well, you start right here. Uh, thanks, Margo. You can put that down. You start right here. And then, you know, as you're going along, right, he, he points out, okay, at mile 1.2, you'll look off. You see this building. This is why it's important. Or this island, all these things, right? So it's very helpful. It's very fun. So, Megan and I, uh, on a morning, I forget what it was, let's just say it was a Tuesday morning, I can't remember, and we were, uh, we were going, we were very excited, and it was a classic kind of Irish day, right, where you kind of had all four seasons, right, it was, it, it was rain one moment, and then it would be sunny and kind of warm, and then it would snow, and then it would be super windy, I mean, and literally all those things happened in this one day. We were very excited. So, I, you know, I punched the old odometer, you know, 0, 0.0, okay, this is good, and we started out. And we got a little ways and we were like, man, I'm mile 1.2. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, if you see that church, you know, off in the background, that's, and this is a significance. And we'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that must be the church. I guess that's the church. Okay. And he kind of tells us a little bit about, oh, okay, that's great. And, and we go a little further and be like, okay, mile 2.3, you know, if you look off, there's a, you know, there's an island, you know, off the coast and you go, oh, I, I see. Okay. I guess, that, yeah, that must be it. And okay, well, that's fun. And we kind of kept going. But, but the further that we went along on this journey, um, um, the more frustrated we get because we got because things didn't quite seem to line up just right. And, and as we kept going, uh, you know, he would tell us to turn right, but it looked like we should really turn left. And so we kind of take the map and we kind of move it around. Like, well, I guess I could be left if you go like this. And so we, we kind of did that. And but honestly, as we kept going, right, we just got a little bit more and more frustrated and more and more frustrated with each other, honestly. And so, so you know, we, we kept going. And finally, I was like, okay, I'm going to pull over. And, you know, there's not that much room anyway. I'm going to pull over. Let me, I'll fix this, you know, because that's, you know, I know how to read a map. Come on. And, and I'd be like, oh, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. And then we'd get back on the road. And then Megan would yell at me, you know, um, because, uh, because I was driving on the wrong side and, and almost got us killed uh, a few times. But that's bygones. And so, 
So it was just really frustrating. And then we just started getting mad at Rick Steves because we we're like, man, you stink. This is horrible. How can you not figure this thing out? You say there's a beehive hut over there. There's no beehive hut over there. There's nothing over there. It's the worst. And we kept going. And I mean, we were, this was not a great celebratory day. Not that you guys have ever had that. And so finally, Megan looks over. She's like, you know, it really feels to me like the ocean should be on the other side of the car. What are you talking about? And so then we just kept looking, and what we realized was that we were going in the complete wrong direction. And the reason why we were going in the wrong direction was because we had started just a little bit off, but just far enough off that that first turn, we did the wrong way. So the whole time we'd been going in the wrong place. So we went all the way back to the city, the little town of Dingle, we said, all right, let's try this again. We went back and we pushed the odometer at the right place. <gasps> and everything was right. And as we started to go around, we said, oh, that's the island. It looks just like he said. And, and there's the church with the window. Oh, that makes more sense. And uh, there are the beehive huts we've been looking for all day. There they are. And all of a sudden, right, the whole trip just starts to click. And all of a sudden, there's like this great joy. And all of a sudden, Megan and I aren't arguing anymore because we're on the same page, literally and figuratively. And all of a sudden, right, this becomes this great celebration as Everything makes sense. And the point is that the reason why none of it made sense, why it was just frustrating and difficult, was because we had started at the wrong place. And one of the things that happens for far too many of us, it seems to me, is that we start from this place that is not a place of seeing God as graceful and loving and generous, but as a harsh taskmaster. And we may not use those words, but, oh man, he's not going to be happy about this. Oh, I messed that up. Oh, he's never going to forgive me for this. And because of that, here's the danger. You see things that look somewhat like the faith, right? You'd still do some of the work because you know you have to, but there is no joy in it. There is no grace in it. There is no freedom in it. It feels more like change that you are putting on and it looks much more like the third servant than it does like the first two servants who began to serve with this great joy and generosity and fun and it was like oh this is really what makes sense and so starting with grace is not just a nice thing to do it's not just a helpful thing to do it is absolutely pivotal. And if you do not see God as one full of grace and generosity, then your journey is always going to be in want. And you are always going to struggle with being able to give and share those talents which God has given to you. But there's one last thing, it seems to me, that I want us to see about this parable. It's this kind of interesting thing that happens, which is that the servants who were given two and five talents are the ones who keep giving and getting more and going out with the sense of energy and joy, whereas it's the one that has the single talent who is most likely, obviously in this parable, the one to hold back. 
And I think that's really important because as one commentator says, oftentimes what happens is for those of us who think that we have one talent, maybe, we think, well, this isn't that significant. What difference does that little puny talent make? And we tend more often than not to just want to kind of step back, to, to kind of hide it or to, or to bury it. Or, and I want to suggest, especially in this kind of celebratory or, 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 or um, celebrity, I should say, kind of world in which we live, in which everything that we see, the only things that we see are these people that are doing these great things, these remarkable things. And you think, well, gee whiz, look at all those talents. Look, at, look how they're changing people. I, this, you know, this, this is embarrassing, this talent that I have. Why should I spend it at all? In fact, I got to be honest with you that I almost thought about not bringing up Sharon, in this, because, uh, because I was afraid that you all would see this five-talent person and think, well, what, what difference does it make what I do? I'm not making that much of an impact. And so I, I think I want to address that by telling you all this, that for the first few years I knew Sharon, I thought she was only a one-talent person. <laughs> I didn't know about, really, all that many details into all the different things that she did. I thought she had one talent. But that in talent that she had was encouragement. Pastor Scott and I, just a few weeks ago, this is true, he, uh, he and I were talking. We had kind of had a Zoom with, uh, with a lot of the youth inquirers, and we both kind of said to one another, you know who's really remarkable in these things is Sharon, because when she's in on these calls, she finds something to always remark on that is encouraging, right? It doesn't matter what it is. She just, she finds something and says, oh yeah, you know what? I hear you saying this and this is really remarkable. And you can kind of see that, you know, that the sixth graders kind of, you know, faces kind of light brighten up as they hear this thing. And, and then I was remembering, you know, there are, there are a decent amount of Sundays where, you know, I'm up here doing what I'm doing right now and I'm preaching and it feels like it's just an absolute dud. And I'm, and I'm up here and I'm looking over here and there's Jason Gray and he's sleeping and sorry, Jason. And, you know, I look over here and there's Andrew, you know, and he's looking at his watch. And by the time I make it over here, I'm looking at my watch because I'm like, seriously, this is boring. How much longer do I have to be up here? But then I make it over here. And this is where the pierces always sit. And I look over here, and you should see, even with the mask, you can see her eyes. And, 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 and the way I picture it, when I look over at her, she's like, Woo! Yeah! That's remarkable! And I think, I must be Billy Graham today. This is incredible. But I'm here, I'm here to tell you, I've never said this before. I'm here to tell you, man, it is, it is remarkable the difference that that, that that one thing, that one look makes. And this is what I want you to know. That you may have a talent that you think is just, oh, it's not that important. No, it doesn't make that much of a difference. But one talent, like let's just say encouragement, just a simple encouraging eyes, just a, a simple encouraging note or, or an encouraging word, you have no idea how by you spending that, 
it then causes someone else to think, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I do have something here to share. Maybe I, maybe I do have something to give. And when that person does that, then all of a sudden, maybe somebody else sees that and, and they begin to grow. And it just begins to slowly grow. Why? Because you've decided not to hide your talent that you think nobody really cares about. What I want you to know is if you think that you have no talent or that your one talent is really just not worth that much, that is complete hogwash. And I don't care whether your talent is to speak an encouraging word. Maybe it's to draw a pretty picture that you want to give to somebody. Maybe it's that you can drive a meal down to Wheeler. Whatever it may be, it can be lots of different things. But what I want you to know is that it matters because the less that you hide it, the more that you begin to give it, the more that you invest it, the more that others then begin to see that and they begin to do so as well so that when the master returns and he will return because he wants to know what we've done with it, he will begin to see a bunch of servants, a bunch of followers who are going out and doing small things and large things and how it's beginning to grow so that then he can look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have used these talents with great joy and now you can receive any more, more and more this is the way the kingdom of God works. It works when we start from a place of understanding a God who is full of grace and generosity. And it continues as you realize that this one talent that you have, no matter what you may think of it, has been given to you so that you can go out with joy in order to use that talent and to begin to change people's lives. So my hope and my prayer, sisters and brothers in Christ, is if you have been wrestling with your understanding of God, that you will go back to the beginning, go back to the starting place, start all over and begin to look at everything through those lens, that lens of grace. And that as you continue, if you ever find yourself tempted to simply hide that talent you would remember just simply investing that talent in one other person can begin to change a life beyond what you may ever know. So that we can then be welcomed by the returning master and hear those words, well done good and faithful servant. May it be so. Amen? Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to see you anew, perhaps. Maybe even to begin all over again, if need be, Lord, that we might see you as you are. As the, create, as the one who has created us, the one who has loved us, the one who has given to us. Help us, Lord, not to hide these things, but instead to use them, not for our glory,
but for yours. That others may experience the joy of following you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.